Welcome to Too Much Tube. Today I'll be counting down my top five favorite TV dramas of all time. I'll be talking about the shows and why I love them. This is just my very well-conceived opinion. I believe my opinion to be fact. This is how all TV addicts feel. I hold my opinions firmly and welcome a challenge. This is Too Much Tube. After I assembled my list, I took a look at Rolling Stone's top 100 TV shows of all time. The list was conceived based on survey of writers, actors, directors, showrunners, and critics. Of my top five, three of them are on Rolling Stone's top 10, while one of them is number 12, and one of them is not even on the list at all, which is a damn shame. So what I have to say here shouldn't be too controversial, according to popular opinion. So without further ado, let's kick it off with number five. Kingdoms, Dragons, Magic, Politics, and War. Game of Thrones. I'm not a huge fan of the undead. Um, it's less about the actual Game of Thrones as I would have liked. Um, I believe it lost its edge in the last two seasons. Uh, the characters have their own unique story arches. Basically, every major character, every Stark, goes on their own hero's journey and comes back. My favorite character is... John Ramsey, or as he becomes John Bolton, followed by Tyrion, followed by Lady, followed by Lady Tyrell. Bolton is so scary and clever and fascinating. Like I would say, he's like the um, Joseph Stalin of uh, Game of Thrones. Um, Tyrion survives by using his people skills and finding out what people want. Lady Tyrell um, makes witty remarks and poisons Joffrey. The battles are legendary and visually stunning. There's nothing wrong with just enjoying a good sword fight with Jon John Snow killing the undead or the great battle scenes. I was awed by the production as well as all of the stories happening at once. It's hard to not binge this show. But I believe could they not have sacrificed um, at least one or two more major characters? Um, I believe that Seaworth, Sam Tully, Gilly, and even Brienne were kind of useless. 
uh, at least at the end, just to kind of add a little gravitas to the end of the show. And I really hated Gilly. Um, magic is used less in the show than in the book, and when it is used, it's uh, kind of exceptional and interesting. Um, for instance, when the shadow killed Renly Berlathian. My favorite battle was the um, the wall battle against the Wildlings, or the Battle of the Bastards. There's just so much going on at a massive scale, it's hard not to be just won over and ooed and awed by the action and the drama of this show. And I would say my favorite scenes are the shock and surprise of the Red Wedding, followed closely by the blowing up of the Sept in Season 6. I like comparing power players on Game of Thrones to real-life characters. Um, despite their cleverness, raw power usually wins over regardless. Um, armies and dragons pretty much trump everything in this show, which is, like I said, just awesome to see. Um, Bolton uses fear, raw power, and he plants Reek as a spy. I would compare him to Joseph Stalin. Lady Terrell is practical, witty, and wise. Let's take it like a Margaret Thatcher. Marjorie Terrell is relating. She shows interest. She empathizes and she physically touches people. I would compare her to Oprah. Right? And Tyria, Tyrion Lannister. Um, he always finds out what people want, forges alliances, and uh, delegates, negotiates. I would compare him to maybe a Lyndon Baines Johnson. Um, Varys is similar to Tyrion, but he actually more of a failure. Here are some YouTube recommendations for you. GOT replay on YouTube. We play certain aspects of the show again for you. I just watched um, Ramsey Bolton. All of his scenes all matched together in one video. Um... There's something called Charisma on Command, which is like um, like a self-improvement, how to be charming videos, but they, they, com they um, look at all the GOT characters and uh, they compare to like how much influence they have. And Game of Thrones is number 12 on Rolling Stone's greatest TV shows of all time. Beating its way in at number 4... Sopranos, 50% male psychology, 50% psychotic Italian men murdering each other, 100% original mob drama. When I first got my hands on this show when I was in middle school, somehow, I was thrilled at the naked violence as well as the naked women. This was my first adult drama and I loved it. 
Imagine a testosterone-fueled 13-year-old boy growing up without cable, and your first experience of good television is The Sopranos? It was literally Roseanne reruns on UPN, then The Sopranos. I was thrilled by the action and the drama of the first season, especially the assassination attempt against Tony and the repercussions around that. However, my favorite episode by far was Season 1, Episode 5, College. If you're familiar with the show, you know this episode is where Tony takes Meadow to look at colleges in Maine. While on the road, Tony spots a man who was in the witness protection program and who gave up information on his crew. He has to find, track, and kill this man, all while keeping it from his daughter, Meadow. He makes up lies and plays nice while having two faces, one to the world and one to himself. And this is actually quoted in the episode. This episode is a perfect mix of lies and deception. I enjoyed the psychiatrist's office, especially the flashbacks to his past and the problems with his mother. Issues brought up here were usually played outside the office that very episode. I enjoyed the mafia tropes. We have one of everything. A dirty cop, a rat, informants, power struggles, hits, poker games, wires, and drug dealers. It was one long, detailed, well-done mob movie. It's fascinating to see all the aspects of a successful mafia don. The show switches narratives from Tony to other characters. They dive into the life of new mafia soldiers, mob wives, informants, and even the FBI. It shows... It deals with male psychology. uh, Subjects like depression... Boredom, addiction, sense of self, manhood, tragedy, sexuality. It puts their dreams, it puts us in their dreams and sometimes in their thoughts. Sure, it's about the mafia, but really it's about the struggles of life. Some viewers say they emphasize with Tony. I don't. He's not my favorite character. I don't have a favorite character in the show. I don't secretly love or empathize with any of them. Um, it's the darkness and the light of life through the view, through the lens of the worst people ever. <laughs> um, he does have some of the same problems. However, he's killed several people with his bare hands. Although he selfishly lays a path of waste, destruction, and death across everyone he meets, I am truly enthralled with his story. I guess I like him because he's a competent and interesting mob boss. He definitely keeps the story going. Uh, The series goes on a little long. I've had enough death. Um, They keep it interesting by tackling different subjects, as I said. Um, However, there's only so much psychopaths in a nice suit one person can take. But the first... Three seasons were really exciting. Um, getting to the end, ending a little bit. Uh, so David Chase liked to play with metaphors, um, such as animals, such as the geese in the pool, meaning family, um, his the dreams. Um, there's a bear in the backyard in one season, and Tony has to come and like protect them from the bear. So that was some kind of metaphor there, um, and I believe. That kind of ties in with the with the dream sequence. So, um, 
if you remember a quote from Bobby B, said, from what I know, it just goes black. You don't even hear it coming. So, it going black on Tony at the end of the episode was essentially him dying. Um, and David Chase often says this in interviews as well. YouTube recommendations. If you love The Sopranos, you will love the podcast Talking Sopranos, starring Michael Imperoli, uh, who plays Christopher, and Steve Sharippa, who plays Bobby. They go over each episode of The Sopranos, and they have on guests of other actors, and they just kind of go the episode by episode and analyze the style and the writing and everything. It's a pretty fun watch or listen. Um, and there's also YouTube videos that explain the ending of The Sopranos. The Sopranos is number one on Rolling Stone's greatest shows of all time. Diving in deep and dark to the number three spot. takes us to a place so dark and deep as True Detective. These tragic detectives face a corrupt system and just don't quit. This neo-drama mystery thriller keeps you guessing and engaged at every turn. Not only in the case, but in the story of the detectives themselves. In the first and third season, the detectives are looking back at the case from years ago. Russ Cole comes straight out of the mental institution and right into our hearts. This former robbery and narcotics officer was fighting a drug and alcohol addiction. But damn, he lives for the job. Notes from the case are posted all over his house. He is haunted by four years as an undercover with a motorcycle gang. Russ sees things different, literally. He has visions. The bird... A bird will fly in perfect circles, and the sky will change colors quickly. He is dark, pessimistic, and at life overall. This stems from the death of his child and the loss of his marriage. Marty sees himself as a family man, but is an adulterer and lazy alcoholic. Russ looks down on Marty for cheating on his wife, etc. They have a complicated relationship, but gosh darn, they get it done. The case of murdered prostitute takes twists and turns, red herrings, and there's enough action to break through the personal drama. They're like exciting little nuggets, the action scenes. The following season has mystery and action, but there's a few too many characters. The third season returns to its roots with Detective Hayes, played by Mishala Ali, a man trying to root out a mystery from 1980 as well as looking back on when he met his wife, who became a crime author, writing a book about the mystery itself. The show plays with time again. Um, the detective is interviewed in 2015 about the case. Um, the, his flashbacks are like 
fragmented memories. Um, so we kind of see it how he does. Um, the 70-year-old retiree solves the case with the help of his late wife's book, all while suffering from dementia. It's a real heart tugger, uh, a little less thrilling, but still a pretty good mystery. So there are eight episodes. Characters change every season. Three different stories with three different themes. Shorter is better, please. Less is more. The second season was okay, and the third season returned to its roots. The first season was obviously phenomenal. I could have not taken 80 episodes of these guys fighting crimes, fighting in their car, and fighting themselves. But as it is, it's done exceptionally well. True Detective is not on Rolling Stone's top 100 greatest shows of all time, which is a damn shame. Breaking in at number two... Breaking Bad, cancer-stricken teacher turned meth cook and drug kingpin. Scarface to Mr. Chips, but I firmly believe he always had a little bit of Scarface in him. He always had the brilliance and toughness of a CEO, and Walter White was almost a real CEO. People often look overlook the MacGyver science aspect of the show, how he uses science and strategy and mechanics to vanquish his enemies. He's almost like a comic book villain with his bombs, poisons, and remote control machine guns. It's fascinating to see something built rather than just, than just being dropped in the middle of something already established. As well as the character change, you see the legal problems, supply problems, distribution, and, of course, Jesse problems. My favorite character is Mike Urbanchop. This former cop-turned-hitman is as clever as Heisenberg, but twice as tough. The characters are delightfully comically bad. Scum of the Oath lawyer, sociopathic drug kingpin, and two twins, they hate talking, but love killing. We, we see a criminal enterprise being built. We see a criminal enterprise being built. The distribution problems, legal problems, and money laundering problems that come with it. My favorite episode is Peekaboo, Season 2, Episode 6. Walt insists that Jesse has to get stolen money back from murderous crackheads. This is the classic mentor-mentoree relationship we see throughout the show. Um, Walt basically says, what happens when the word gets out that Jesse Pinkman can be robbed, the face, uh, the dealer of the group? Uh, he ends up with his hands full with the crackheads, and an interesting plot ensues. Uh, my favorite scene is a flashback to Walt and his former girlfriend, Gretchen, back, uh, assuming when he's in college, talking about what chemicals literally make up the body. Flashing forward to Walt and Jesse cleaning up the remainder of a body that completely disintegrated. This is great uh, TV transitioning. Um, one thing happens while 
another thing that's being talked about. Uh, I guess you'd call about call it foreshadowing. Um, Walt kind of becomes the characters that he vanquishes, um, and he um, takes on all his enemies and defeats them, and ends up getting cleverly getting everything he wants in the end. And uh, it's a great show. Before we get to my favorite TV drama and the greatest TV show of all time, in my opinion, here are some honorable mentions. Fargo came in really strong in the first season. It was kind of like the movie Fargo in the show version. Uh, it was really good. Uh, Martin Freeman, I love him as an actor. Uh, he plays an insurance man turned bad um, when he meets Billy Bob Thornton, uh, who's a chilling hitman. Uh, and my other honorable mention is Sherlock on the BBC, also Martin Freeman. Um, more of a mystery comedy, but has some dramatic elements, and that is a phenomenal show. And finally, we reach my favorite show, and in my opinion, the best show of all time. <laughs> never won an Emmy, but it's widely considered by many critics as the best show of all time. The Wire, in my opinion, is the best show ever made. It feels real, and it challenges preconceived notions. The Wire ran for five seasons, and people argue that The Sopranos is one large movie, but I would like to argue that The Wire is one large movie, or play, starring the city of Baltimore, or the drug trade, or war on drugs if you want. I would argue that um, it peaks in season four. Um, it's a raw show that imitates real life. Viewers complain about the changing narrative each season. Um, I disagree. All the pieces matter. Uh, yes, even the often shit upon second season. The back and forth of the focus of the main characters allows things to stay fresh and interesting. Even the dock workers... Breaking Bad and getting involved with organized crime has something to say about the economic decline due to automation. Hamsterdam in Season 3 has something to say about the futility of the war on drugs. The show explores every aspect of the nefarious elements of the city of Baltimore. You also had a character from every aspect of the city, and it's always well acted. I don't have a favorite character, I guess my character is the setting. Um, the strength of the show is in the characters and the sheer volume of the characters. Here's just a few characters I plucked out of this world. Frank Sabatka, a union boss who's working with organized crime to bring drugs through the ports. He dumps money on people who are trying to leave the union. He's trying to save his union, but he gets in too deep. Lester Freeman, the leader of The Wire, the case against the Avon organization, second only to McNulty as a cop, 
the brains of the show, a real tried and true policeman who became sidelined by his superiors years ago for standing up to the system. Bubbles, an addict who takes a long journey to recovery, teaches younger fiends the way of the streets and tries to get clean. He also snitches for the cops. Randy, an honest kid who hustles by buying candy and selling it on the streets. He hands out flyers when paid when the rest of the kids just take the money. He has a large smile and he is afraid and respectful of his stepmom. He's what they call a stoop kid. Omar Little, a skilled stick-up artist with a thrill addiction who has a code that doesn't go after anyone who's not in the game. Stringer Bell, a strategic gangster who tries to become a businessman. Bunny Colvin, a top cop who secretly starts a safe zone where drugs are legal as long as there's no violence. Obviously gets fired, then becomes a teacher starting a program teaching social skills to street kids. Marlo, a psychotic drug dealer. Proposition Joe, an organized East Coast player. Clay Davis, a senator who rips off drug dealers and city officials alike. Those are just to name a few characters. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Gangsters, dock workers, drug addicts, kids, cops, politicians, ex-cons, school teachers, and hitmen. There are a lot of characters, but there's really no main character. The seasons are all part of a play about Baltimore. Season 1. The War on Drugs. Season 5. More War on Omar. The media. A fake serial killer is created to get funding for the police department. Wire on Marlowe. And the characters come full circle. Every episode starts with a quote from that episode that underlines a central theme. I love that each season is wrapped up with a montage of the consequences and accomplishments of that season. Um, the story is a spiral. So, as hinted to in the season four introduction, the show, the song Down in the Hole, there are a number of circular images in the introduction. There's a spinning rims, a merry-go-round, a kid spinning a tiger, a tire. There's um, one of those um, spinning wheels at a gas station, protective service wheels. Um, this is not uh, accidental. This is saying that um, the narrative is one spiral. So the kids that we met in season four become the characters that we know that we knew earlier in season one. Randy becomes Bodie. Michael becomes Omar. Dookie becomes Bubbles. Naaman is adopted by Detective Coleman, so it becomes like him. Detective Seymour becomes McNulty. Daniels becomes a lawyer, like Rhonda Perlman. Perlman becomes a judge. Velchek becomes commissioner. Slim Charles becomes the new Avon. And Kennard, possibly the new Marlowe. 
Herc becomes a little like Levy, like Levy, and Kirkedi becomes the new Royce. The elusive Greek is still the Greek, and Marlowe is first to ret- forced to retire. There is hope as former gangster Cuddy continues to teach boxing, and a still sober Bubs walks up the stairs to sit with his family. Bunny Colvin saved a good-hearted kid from the street. The story presses restart. The city doesn't stop, but we exit. YouTube recommendations. The podcast, Way Down in the Hole, is an excellent, funny, and in-perspective podcast. Um, It's under The Ringer, so look up The Ringer, and there's a podcast, Way Way Down in the Hole. They go over each episode of The Wire in a funny and entertaining way. And YouTube also has 100 quotes from The Wire to give you the feels about The Wire again. What are your favorite dramas? Let me know how my list compares. And thank you for listening to Too Much Tube.